Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Tony Morpeth has been making environmentally friendly household cleaners for more than 20 years. Back then he was a pioneer working for Stephen Tyndall and then Malcolm Rands at EcoStore. Now his products are in pretty much every supermarket from here to New York. So what goes into an eco cleaner and what stays out? And how can EcoStore stay ahead of the competition and keep driving to a green but very clean and low emissions world? Tony, thanks for joining me on this climate business. Great. Thank you for having me, Vincent. The EcoStore is such an icon of green business. It's been with us for so long. And yet, I imagine when you started, you felt like you were really pioneering something. What, what, what was it like in the beginning? Did you, were you cutting new ground? Yeah, well, there weren't any sustainable cleaning products and personal care products in New Zealand supermarkets at that stage. Um, EcoStore started some 28 years ago in 1993 with Malcolm and Melanie Rands living up in um, the uh, north area of uh, New Zealand. Um, um, yeah, and so those formulas that you were making, they you, that you were creating them from scratch, right? These detergents and soaps and so on, you, you were having to make them from what? Where, where were you getting? There was no internet. Where were you get finding these recipes? Yeah, so we um, conducted a lot of business with uh, formulation experts um, based here in New Zealand and Australia. Um, so yeah, it was really cutting edge, pioneering, uh, moving away from petrochemical raw materials uh, into plant based. Um, Malcolm and Melanie Rands, when they founded the business, uh, as I said, in um, Mamaku up north some 28 years ago, um, they were living in like an eco-village and they had um, really clean uh, spring water coming into their sites, uh, their houses, and they realised that uh, the chemicals that they were using in their house um, was releasing all of these nasty chemicals and so forth into their environment. What they wanted to do was uh, remove all of those elements that were then uh, being used in the house, contaminating the water as it left, yeah. so that they could have as clean a water coming in um, as it was when it went out. Yeah, and so they they found you because you'd already been um, mucking around in the space. Yeah, so um, I started with EcoStore some 16 years ago. Um, about eight years of my life prior to that, I was working um, in conjunction with a company called Lush Fresh Handmade Cosmetics in Australia mm -hmm. um, for about five odd years. Uh, and they were all around uh, sort of sustainable packaging, like large blocks of soap that got cut up in the shop, weighed, wrapped in greaseproof paper, so that really minimum packaging. Uh, after that, I then, when I came back to New Zealand with my two young children, uh, I was working for the Tyndall Foundation uh, and got headhunted to work for him to help develop a range of cleaning products that were uh, of philanthropic intent. So a non-for-profit, uh, green, clean, eco-New Zealand-made products um, for the New Zealand market primarily mm. uh, that were then going to be sold in supermarkets because back at that stage there weren't uh, really there weren't really any eco or green cleaning products uh, in New Zealand yeah. that were available for, for New Zealanders. Yeah, and the Tyndall Foundation was at that stage hoping to develop what their own range of branded detergents and and um, and cleaning products. Yeah, it was under the brand called B, uh, which was Beauty Engineered Forever. So it was like a, a 
I suppose an umbrella company that was going to have a whole lot of other products that were sustainable, uh, again with philanthropic intent. Uh, and the cleaning range of products and personal care range of products was just the first uh, group that sat under that umbrella B uh, classification. Mm. I did, it, did it ever happen? I've got a vague memory of it being in market. Yeah, it did. We launched, uh, and at that stage when we launched after about two and a half years of product development um, using um, using in chemists and so forth, um, so yes, it did. It. After about two and a half years, we launched in New Zealand supermarkets, I think it was about five products off the top of my head. Um, and they had um, environmental choice certifications and other sort of eco labels. Mm. Um, and at that point in time, uh, one of the chemists that we had um, used to formulate our range for us uh, was setting up a little business, um, and a partner of his was coming back from the UK, uh, and he was a PhD chemist, primarily working in veterinary health, uh, and they were wanting a manufacturing business um, to sort of lock into their R&D facility uh, that... I then moved across from the Tyndall Foundation into, and that company was a business called Ecotech Solutions Limited. Aha, uh-huh. and that was the organisation then that started working with EcoStore. That's right, that's right. right. So yeah. back back around sort of 16, 16 and a half years ago, yeah, uh, so okay. we were doing formulation development work for uh, EcoStore uh, and doing then the contract manufacturing for them. Uh, and uh, then that just grew and grew. And then sort of two years into the relationship or thereabouts, we sold the business to EcoStore. Um, and EcoStore then uh, had other manufacturing facilities around um, Auckland that were doing other parts of their product range. Uh, and I continued with Ecotech, um, loved EcoStore, and then uh, started to bring all of those other sort of um, satellite businesses that were producing other products mm. and under the one roof, um, including their distribution. So... Uh don't get too technical with us, but what are the nasties in conventional detergents that you were removing or replacing? Right, yeah. Um, it is getting technical when I start to <laughs> go into that sort of level of detail. Um, we've got a R&D chemist who works for us. Um, we, we sort of operate on the precautionary principle. So um, if there's any doubt about uh, raw materials uh, in the marketplace, um, such as sodium lauryl sulfate, um, which there's, it's an irritant. Um, we don't use that raw material. Um, mm. It's one of the primary raw materials that are used in a lot of personal care products, mm. shampoos mm. Um, and so forth. Um, mm. So again, with synthetic fragrances and so forth, um, we've chosen to avoid synthetic fragrances and work with pure essential oils. So like our dish liquids and so forth, we've got um, pure lemon messina essential oil in those as opposed to other companies which uh, use cheaper synthetic fragrances to flavour and fragrance their products. Mm. When you were, um, and they work obviously, um, but you, you know, when you're first starting out, there was this kind of impression that, do, do you remember that um, eco products don't work and it was all very well? How hard was it winning over customers and and getting you know, moving from sort of fringe to mainstream? Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the the perception that uh, green products you needed to scrub harder mm-hmm. um, didn't perform as good as we needed to make sure that we performance tested all of our products to provide that assurance to our consumers that um, our products worked equally as good as um, market leaders uh, in the categories that we were in. Mm. And and what did you do to, to do that? You know, what what kind of I don't know marketing techniques did you employ, or or, or was it just that you had such a loyal base? Well, we used a whole lot of uh, um, we used a whole lot of people that uh, had benchmark standards and so forth. So, like for our dishwash uh, auto dishwash powder, 
um, there's different test methodologies that you conduct to benchmark your product against um, your, your market leader as such, which we wanted to obviously make sure that we benchmarked against to perform as good as. Mm. So um, there's different tiles and so forth with pre-stained, um, so soy sauce, tomato, um, egg yolk proteins and um, so forth that obviously come pre- pre-stained into your dishwasher and then you measure the amount of soil that's removed based upon your formulation versus your benchmark formulation. Yeah, and, and EcoStore met those tests. That's right, yes. Yeah, yeah. interesting. The market moved to you. You know, you didn't have to move to the market um, and now there are so many other brands in the market that are uh, have similar claims and are removing similar products. To what extent uh, was well, so two questions, I suppose – has the market moved? You know, in terms of market share, what proportion would be uh, now without without sodium lauryl sulfate and and have kind of eco credentials, incredible eco credentials? Yeah, I don't want to go into too much detail around um, our competitors and so forth. Um, we we view our competitor set um, more of the multinational as opposed to other green players or um, mm-hmm. so-called green players in the marketplace that we're in. Um, it's about, um, uh, I suppose in some respects, it's quite flattering uh, the more people that are copying your products and um, playing in the green space. It's great. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They're the more, more people that are, are being converted to buy green products or um, varying degrees of green, um, light green versus EcoStore being really dark green. Um, I use that terminology because I think we, we hold our uh, standards up to the utmost. Yeah. Um, but in any um, moving of a consumer away from a product that's full of nasties as such um, into something that's light or dark green is a great move as mm. far as I'm concerned. Mm. So the market is catching up with you and then you have to continue to innovate to stay ahead of the market. So what kind of things have you done to advance the green credentials of EcoStore products? I suppose in some respects um, we hoped that, and it's proving to be the case, that green products in the categories and the markets we're in uh, are going to effectively just be um, by the way. You know, we hope we hope that the whole supply chain is going to move to green products. Um, our focus for the last 28 years has been on um, not just the environment and sustainability, but on health. So the, the user of our products and therefore the health profile of our products has been one of the fundamental um, uh, pillars of the business model that we have so that um, consumers can have um, trust and confidence in the product themselves mm. uh, that they're healthier for you uh, and the planet because we, we, as I say, hope that the the healthier for the planet um, side of uh, these products and these formulations is just going to be something in the future that um, everyone does which say is what I hope. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably proving true that you are dragging, you know, the the mainstream towards where you are. But uh, I know, for instance, you've addressed some of your packaging. Um, you know, you used to be doing uh, a, a fully plastic uh, bottles, but tell us about this use of sugarcane um, in your packaging. What What's that all about? Yeah, so um, sugar-based um, uh, HDPE is one of the grades that we're using. So it's exactly the same molecularly as uh, petrochemical. Um, so petrochemical HDPE, like your milk bottle, um, and other HDPE number two recycling symbol. Uh, it's just that sugar um, is the the root source of uh, the um, polyethylene element in the HDPE. 
And so therefore there's uh, an extra degree of processing that that uh, HDP needs to go through. Uh, and so therefore it's a lot more expensive than petrochemical HDPE. Mm. That's one of the reasons why not that many people are actually converting to um, sugar PE or bio PE. Yeah. Um, whereas it's almost twice the price of its petrochemical um, cousin. Um, but sugar PE is 100% recyclable. Um, and as I say, curb, curbside recycled, uh, it's one of the most recycled plastics in the world. So it's obviously the, the plastic grade that we've chosen to go for. We started using um, sugar HDPE, um, I think it was about seven or eight years ago, um, and um, would never go back. As soon as we found out that this was available for us to make mm. our bottles out of, um, we, we jumped at the opportunity regardless of the price. That extra cost that you have to incur, where does that, how do you absorb that? Do you have to put up the price of the product? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we are a premium product on shelf compared to a lot of our competition uh, and that's by virtue of the formulations themselves uh, use plant-based um, and so therefore uh, we need more of, they're more expensive, mm. uh, they're less available. Uh, the sugar HDPE as I say, uh, almost twice the price of petrochemical HDPE mm. uh, as well as essential oils um, as opposed to synthetics. Um, our certifications that we hold as well, um, our carbon neutral certification and offsetting all of our carbon um, offset every year, uh, everything that we do adds cost to our product, um, which is why we are a premium uh, and um, why we need to be a premium because um, to be doing as much good as we are, uh, it's expensive. Yeah, it's an interesting question. We might come back to that if there's time, but keep t- telling us about some of the changes you've made. So you've got recycled plastic also in some of your bottles. That's right, that's right. So uh, in conjunction with uh, using our sugar um, HDP, uh, which is a virgin sugar feedstock, um, we're wanting to uh, complement that in our product offering uh, by using post-consumer regrind, so PCR. Uh, We're sourcing our PCR from uh, New Zealand, uh, primarily milk bottles. Uh, and that, that gets reground, uh, repalletized, and put into our bottles. Uh, in a lot of instances, it's moving uh, about 50% of virgin uh, sugar HDP from our packaging. Wow. Uh, some of up to 75% PCR as opposed to virgin. It, it's um, so HDP. encouraging to hear because, you know, so many recycling stories end badly, don't they? If mm. you're you know, wondering where it goes, probably a big chunk into landfill. So the sourcing of that, does that also then reduce the cost because you are able to source from a uh, relatively low-cost source as opposed to this uh, high-cost HD, what was it, HDE? HDPE, yeah, Yeah. high-density polyethylene. Yeah, Yeah, in our instance, it's quite fortunate being that uh, our sugar HDPE is a lot more expensive than petrochemical, so if we're using uh, post-consumer regrind, which again is more expensive than uh, petrochemical HDPE, it's actually cheaper for us. Yeah. Whereas someone coming the other way using petrochemical HDPE into post-consumer regrind HDPE, uh, it would be a more expensive proposition for them. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, and then also you're, you're starting to get into this sort of circular thing with um, refill stations and packaging return. Tell, tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so um, we've agreed to and signed up for the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, which is a, um, a, a foundation that is all around circular economy. Uh, and so part of this sort of uh, commitment from the signatories is that by 2025, uh, all of your packaging materials will be reusable, recyclable or compostable. And so we're on the journey um, uh, to make sure that we're compliant 
to that as mm. are other signatories to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Mm. Um, so what we've tried to do as well um, within uh, our various uh, supply chain uh, outlets and so forth is have a, uh, a refill station and we've managed to get a lot of our refill stations into supermarkets. So we're supplying uh, them with 20 litres and 5 litres and so forth so that consumers can come in and bring their bottles with them and actually refill from those refill stations into, it doesn't have to be an eco store bottle, it could be another 500ml bottle, uh, and then put a little label on it and um, take it away uh, and therefore are reusing the bottle as opposed to um, buying a new one. That's fantastic. So you don't have to have an eco store bottle. You're just saying um, come in and refill using our our liquid, and then you've got what some sort of badge that you could put on it. Yeah. So little um, weight weight scales and so forth in various outlets, um, various green stores that have been doing refill stations for us for years. Um, and so um, yeah, basically you can come in and refill your bottle. Mm. The um, circular economy activity uh, still seems. As elegant as an idea it is, it still seems a very niche um, part of the market. To, to what, how hopeful are you that that could become a kind of mainstream activity, and what, and what would be required for that to happen? So, one of the examples of what we're trying to achieve with the circular economy here in New Zealand, with uh, our own packaging, uh, is we've got about 121 or 120 odd uh, outlets that are like collection hubs for all of our bottles and so forth. So when the consumer's finished with it, rather than throwing it into the recycling system, which um, we all know is kind of broken, uh, and as you point out uh, earlier, uh, a lot of that actually goes to landfill um, or is formally shipped overseas, uh, which the the dollar value of that uh, uh, post-consumer plastic is really just bottomed out. So therefore, a lot of companies uh, recycling and so forth uh, don't know what to do with it. So mm. we've set up um, these 120-odd uh, collection hubs throughout New Zealand. Uh, and so when the consumer is finished with our bottle, they can throw it into these collection points. We then bring them back to our manufacturing facility here in Pakaranga. And then once we've um, collected up um, several tonne of it, we send it off to our uh, partner, Astron Plastics, uh, who then uh, wash, re-grind, re-palletise, uh, and then send it back to us to put it back into our bottles again. Mm. So uh, again, closing that loop down. The fact that you're able to do it commercially shows it can be done. Do you advocate or encourage other companies to follow your example, or is this kind of part of your strategic advantage? It's a difficult proposition, that's for sure. Um, and we, we're still trying to build scale. Um, we're trying to partner with uh, other companies as well that we can then um, create more collection, more volume to be collected, and then therefore reduce the amount of transport cost uh, associated with bringing those uh, bottles back to us again because obviously us being carbon neutral, we're um, sort of offsetting all of the transport costs um, within this and our supply chain. So. Uh, again, expensive for us compared to most if they were to attempt to do it. What's your personal motivation uh, for being involved in this sector? You've been doing it for some time and then you've, you have this history, as you said, um, prior to EcoStore with the Tyndall Foundation and the B products. What gets you out of bed for that kind of tough assignment? Yeah, that's a good question, Vincent. Um, so... If you sort of cast your mind back kind of 20, 25 years ago uh, and there was talk about um, carbon in the atmosphere and so forth, um, my partner Ruth and I used to talk about um, 
uh, climate change, um, climate crisis as it's known now, uh, and carbon um, parts per million in the atmosphere. And people just thought we were heretics. Um, no one believed in climate change. They were in our close immediate circles and um, people connect with like-minded people and therefore realising just how difficult that proposition was to convince um, what we thought would be easy people to convert mm. uh, really is my motivator to um, ensure that um, what I'm doing, um, my children will be able to look at me and see the type of business that I've been involved in, uh, EcoStore, um, perfect example, um, doing some great stuff. Um that they can they can see what I've done and have known that I've done everything that I could um, to um, get involved, uh, make change, um, force change, um, and try to uh, and live as light a footprint as possible. Mm. Were you a greenie when you were at uni, and and, and what did you study? Um, I was more of a uh, sort of a business owner operator. Uh, so when I left school, I went to university, and I was um, heading down an architecture pathway. Uh, I pulled out um, because at that stage I was running a business at night whilst I was at uni. Uh, commercial cleaning, had a couple of staff um, from about the age of 17, 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and then set up another business which was a sandblasting company doing decorative work on uh, glass. Uh, and that's then when from that business I moved over to Australia for the lush opportunity. Uh, mm. But um, I suppose um, um, I, I, I'm not a hippie. Um, I'm not... Um, uh, I still wear, wear denim jeans. Um, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm not the the green green. Uh, but obviously, I try treat as light a footprint as I can. Like my kids, when they were going to school, sort of um, when they were five and six, um, is going back fifteen because they're twenty one um, and twenty at the moment. Um, they, they were winning awards for plastic free lunches. Um, for, <laughs> um, being involved in, um, I remember Point Chev Primary with a teacher there called Karen, uh, and she was growing um, uh, like vegetable gardens and so forth in the school grounds, and the kids were getting involved in that. Um, and so she was a real um, sort of go-getter, um, uh, really pushing things as far as she could around sustainability and so forth. She was a real inspiration as well. Mm. Um, and so wanting, obviously, um, as I say, my, my kids uh, to think of uh, – the type of work I've done has been um, of the right kind of business. Mm. It's interesting to me that uh, the journey many people are on and many of us are on, but how many uh, people in your position and in, indeed what you could have done, you, you had many options, You, but you chose to deploy your skills and your energy into an area that you wanted to make a difference in. So you're quite purpose-driven by the sound of it. I mean, you could have continued with your cleaning business or your, your sandblasting business. Do you get frustrated with, and we're going to sound really judgy when I say this, but do you get frustrated with your your mates who you can see the talent, you can see the energy, but it gets ploughed into things that really don't make a difference? Do, have you become evangelical in that regard? I suppose it's hard when you see other businesses and um, the models that they approach, um, uh, both at a sort of um, micro and macro level, that uh, measuring success on profitability uh, and GDP um, is so flawed. Uh, and so it's it's hard not to get frustrated, um, but I don't get disheartened. Um, we need to make small changes, uh, and those small changes turn into big changes. Mm. So. It's about um, trying to um, 
convince and convert uh, as many people as you can um, to the to the right path, I suppose you could say, <laughs> without, as you say, sounding evangelical. Um, but I, I'm, a, I'm a true believer that um, we, we can make the change. Um, things are getting quite critical for us. Um, the little fragile earth that we're all a part of living on uh, isn't isn't faring very well um, from the levels of exploitation, I suppose, that we're, we're burdening it with. Um, mm. So we do need to consume less. We need to make better choices. We need to vote with our wallets. Um, and other businesses and so forth need to, I suppose, put their money where their footprint is. Mm. Absolutely. EcoStore has been such a success, and you mentioned Malcolm and Melanie Rands earlier, who were the founders. They're no longer involved in the business, not directly in any case. It was sold, I understand, in 2013, is that right, to uh, to the current owners. Tell us a little bit about the vision that you have and, and the owners now have for EcoStore. How, how big or how um, ambitious are you? Yeah, so Malcolm and Melanie Rands, um, as I said, founded the business um, up in the, the north of uh, the North Island uh, in Mamaku uh, some 28 years ago. And uh, the Peter Krauss group, so Peter Krauss and his family, um, started to invest in EcoStore, I think it was probably about sort of 13, um, 14 years ago um, at, a, at a lower level. Mm. Uh, and then Finally, as Malcolm and Melanie um, moved into more of their philanthropic um, um, environmental and sustainability areas, uh, Peter Krauss and the Peter Krauss Group purchased uh, the rest of the shares in about 2013, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Krauss um, owns uh, an, another business, uh, is another example, uh, in Napier called Chantal Organics. Uh, and Huggleberry Farms, Harvest Whole Foods uh, as, a, as another business. Mm. And so um, the intention there is an example of the type of uh, company the PKG Group is, is um, passionate about um, sustainability, um, hence obviously EcoStore, but also passionate about um, organics and getting organics distributed in, into as many New Zealanders as possible because mm. um, the health benefits of organic food um, is is remarkable mm. uh, and then obviously by virtue of the health benefits of organic food it's also uh, better f- for the soil's health uh, and just the whole kind of permaculture approach uh, which were the, the pillars of what EcoStore was founded on about as well uh, in Mamaku with Malcolm and Melanie mm. um, having obviously the eco-village and the permaculture approach to um, their their food forests that they've created up, up north there. Mm. So um, Peter Krauss um, and the PKG um, company is really passionate about um, sustainability and New Zealand, New Zealand brands, uh, and as I say, health. Mm. So um, by virtue of the baton having been passed from uh, Malcolm and Melanie across to PKG Group, uh, nothing's changed. Uh, it's a fantastic company to work for. Uh, there's never a dull day. Uh, <laughs> Constant, I constant bet there challenges. Yeah, <laughs> um, and um, that's testament to not, I suppose, only the length of time I've served um, EcoStore, which is, as I say, close to sixteen years, but the number of other people that are working in um, the company, looking after uh, the supply chain, um, manufacturing, and so forth, with me, um, have been there five plus years. Lots, lots of people five plus years. Um, lots of people ten plus years. Um, so again, just testament to the kind of. Uh, people and company that Peter Krauss Group is. Yeah. 
Uh, Tony, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks for sharing uh, your story about um, you know your own journey and also EcoStore. Um, is there anything else that we need to know about EcoStore? What what's coming up? Any new products that we should be looking out for? Mm, I suppose um, it's always an exciting space. Um, the the household and personal uh, care cleaning categories. Um, one of the uh, things that we've just launched is uh, solid shampoo bars and solid conditioner bars. Um, a, Without obviously just all of the sugar PE that we're using in the post-consumer regrind and the closed looping of our um, plastics within New Zealand and so forth, um, we're also trying to, through our formulations, develop products that actually use less plastic uh, from the start. Mm. So mm. these solid shampoo bars are packaged in um, Forestry Stewardship Council cardboard, um, mm-hmm. grown here in New Zealand obviously, um, so no plastic at all. Um, also, we've just launched recently a uh, our cleaning product, um, so surface cleaning products, uh, in a 10 times concentrate. So they're in a little tiny 50ml uh, glass jar that uh, when you, you want to re- re- refill your surface cleaner bottle with a trigger, you can just buy this little 50ml bottle, Brilliant. tip it into the um, bottle that you've got at home, and then just reuse your packaging. Yeah. Um, that's been really well received throughout um, the supermarkets here in New Zealand, and it's about to go uh, in internationally. It's only just launched uh, last month. Um, so we've also been uh, developing a whole lot of new products, uh, and some of which we've been working on for years. Uh, and so we've got a couple of really amazing things that are going to revolutionise some of the categories that we're in, uh, launching shortly. So... Um, Watch the space. Yeah, exciting sounds times. like you're having a lot of fun. Yep, I am. Great stuff. Thanks, Tony. Great. Thanks, Vincent. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the program. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer. That's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week. And no hurrah.